Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. Today on the Ether, into the interchain with Shade Protocol and friends. Let's take a listen. Hey guys, let's uh let's bring Tor up here and let's bring Sid up here. Hello. Hey Tor, how's it going? Thanks for jumping in last minute here. Hey Sid, thanks for jumping in last minute. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How's it going? Very Going good. Well. Going well. Let's bring Carter up here as well. Did you guys tweet this out already? I just sent it out, uh, but if you could find that and then share it as well, that would be awesome. I hit you with a retweet. Perfect. Nice. Well, big day for Seer Network. We got the uh, 1.5 upgrade for IBC tokens, which is super super fun for stit tokens tour i think today would be an interesting opportunity um to talk about uh the for now i know you've had a big hand in, in and maybe some of your oh you were getting you were getting choppy for me you were oh, getting getting choppy choppy for me, so i didn't hear what you wanted me to talk about what do you want me to oh talk i was about? saying i think it'd be super yeah. interesting so, so, tell me again what do you want me to, to uh talk about the Dash initiative that's recently getting kicked off. I know that's been a super cool growth opportunity for Seager Network's largest NFT platform. So maybe a chance for you to talk about Stash, what makes it so special, kind of the initiative that's happening right right now with it, and maybe how that fits into the larger picture of, yeah. of Seager Network. Yeah, whenever. You, you tell me when the time is right. Just happy to be here. Sounds good. We'll give this like 60 more seconds, and then Dalton, if you want to let Tor know when he has the the table to introduce himself, <laughs> the the story of Stash, and yeah. go from there. Absolutely, I'm going to give it some just about another minute and go retweet from a couple couple accounts here, and then uh, we should we should be able to go. Do those accounts all have that eight dollar check mark? Uh, they will very soon. <laughs> it's called a business expense. The the beef around it or no, I will be spending that eight dollars. <laughs> <laughs> there was like the Twitter poll that was like. A bunch of people at twenty dollars. A bunch of people at ten dollars. So eight, eight is eight is very strategically placed. I'm not sure I would do it for nine, but I would do it for eight. So <laughs> it's not a bad number. Hey, thanks again, everybody, for hopping in. Um, a little bit of a last minute change on today's Twitter space. We were going to talk with a with a stablecoin partner for for the decks that we have launching at the end of the year here, but unfortunately had a little last minute change. But we've got. We've got Tor up here from Secret Network and from Stash, and we've got Sid from Comdex as well that'll be joining us. But again, thanks guys for jumping in. Can uh, Carter? Can you hear Fisco? I can hear Fisco. He's a little chippity choppity, but he's 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 there. Interesting. He is not coming through for me. Okay, then I'll be the translator. He was he was talking <laughs> about how we had a last a change last minute. 
with Tor coming on as well as Sid from Condex in, in lieu of one of our other stablecoin partners, speaker being sick last second. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, not to not to repeat what Fisco said, um, but welcome Tor and Sid, uh, some Secret Network and Comdex, respectively. Uh, Tor, you have the floor to discuss uh, Stash and what it means for Secret Network and the Cosmos as a whole. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm also happy to talk about today's ongoing network upgrade because that was a big deal. We we are doing a little bit of. Uh, of an expected network upgrade that was discussed and passed recently on the forum. So that's what's distracting a lot of validators right now is getting a lot of that back online. So kudos to them. Kudos to everybody in the secret ecosystem who contributes to the safety, the health, and the stability of the chain. Of course, that means a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about right now uh, is not currently live because during a mainnet upgrade, you should not try to use the applications. But as soon as the network is stable and all the nodes are stable that Stash uses, then I would say, Definitely go check out Stash. Uh, that's at Stash, S-T-A-S-A. Ooh, I can't even spell it. S-T-A-S-H-H dot I-O. Because, yeah, as Carter was mentioning, uh, Stash is doing a pretty large user-focused initiative right now, just trying to teach people about some of the properties of the network and what privacy by default can mean for applications. Uh, so I'll, I'll go back a little bit because we did do secret spaces with Stash yesterday, but I'll go back a little bit and even talk about why Stash is a thing. Um, we're building a layer one, you know, secret is a layer one on top of a layer one, you get all kinds of incredible applications. And the whole differentiator for secret is that all those applications can be private by default. What that means is not just that information is more secure or that users are more anonymous. Really what it means is that you're expanding the design space by hundreds of times. It's an additional degree of programmability that you don't get on public by default chains. A lot of the things that you would want to experiment on using things like shielded mempools or private metadata are just really complex to do on Ethereum. And if you try to do them, they're either very slow, very expensive, very uncomposable. So uh, it, it just doesn't work. Whereas on Secret, you can do things programmably and you do keep composability for all of these different assets and the applications can still talk to each other, but the data is still protected in use. It's a very powerful network. And with a powerful network, you get to make these powerful primitives like secret NFTs. So these are non-fungible tokens that can have private metadata, it can have public metadata, protected metadata only viewable by certain addresses. Uh, you can also have private by default ownership, but you can reveal that ownership again to whitelisted addresses, or you can have it completely private, completely public. It's completely up to you as the user, completely up to the creator, to the developers. It's It's an entirely new design space really for non-fungibles. And it's actually a design space that I think is far more interesting for non-fungibles. Right now, the state of non-fungible assets is that they are just a speculation whale game. And on ETH, for example, the market really is run by a very small set of extremely wealthy individuals who control a lot of ETH or control a lot of blue chip NFTs on the network. And they essentially king make new projects. And that's, you know, not necessarily dissimilar to how the actual art world works, but it's not exactly the vision of Web3. Uh, in Web3, we were supposed to create something a little bit more democratic. So we think something like Secret is perfectly positioned to form a foundation for a long tail of creators and underlie something that's closer to 
an Instagram or a Pinterest or a Substack or a Patreon, as opposed to, uh, you know, only being able to underlie board apes and these super scarce cultural assets that make you really cool. Um, there's so there's so much more power to NFTs than that. And creating that long tail of usership is and adoption is actually what gets you global adoption. And only being able to have things like board apes is what gets you mocked on Saturday Night Live. So Tor, you've kind of talked about how privacy is a key part of making NFTs as a, as a primitive much more compelling. It expands and opens up the design space. So Seeker Network today is aimed at being a privacy hub. What does it mean to turn Seeker Network and its NFT community and things like Stash into a cultural hub? What, is it, what does it take to build that type of uh, separation and community? Well, let's look at Ethereum in 2018, circa. You know, and there wasn't exactly this master plan by consensus or anybody else to turn Ethereum into this center of culture and to take over the media world or whatever else. It sort of emerged organically because there was this interesting foundation. But if you had looked at ETH at the time and CryptoKitties and OpenSea, which really only existed to be a marketplace for CryptoKitties, you would have reached the conclusion that this thing would never impact culture. (laughs) NFTs would always be kind of a joke, kind of a game. And there wasn't really a lot to indicate anything different. It just happened to be that it was an it was an emergent property, so to speak. It, it came to be that NFTs were so interesting, and in fact, like the very expensive ones, like CryptoPunks, they reached back into history for their value, and they had value because explicitly they weren't designed to have value. They were just an early experiment. Uh, a lot of these early experiments are what have value, and I think a lot of early experiments on Secret that are the first of their kind will also have value, substantial value. But it's one of those things that takes a long time to emerge. So now there's a very broad awareness of NFTs in the cultural consciousness, but it's, it is sort of a chain agnostic awareness. People don't think about board apes and they're like, these are expensive because they're on Ethereum. They're just like, ah, Eminem has one or, you know, Jay-Z has a crypto punk or, or whatever they think. There's, there's, there's a cultural cachet, but it's not driven by the underlying tech. The positioning with Secret is that we believe a privacy by default foundation is interesting, uniquely interesting, whereas there's not really a huge differentiation between public by default chains like Ethereum, Solana, Juno, et cetera. Like they're all public by default and hopefully programmable, but they, they all kind of have those things. They have the one important thing in common. The private by default foundation is interesting because if you believe in a multi-chain future, at least for NFTs, then there should be some sort of chain that you trust to be the settlement and issuance layer of NFTs. And then you move NFTs off of that chain if you need them to be useful in other universes. But there should be somewhere those NFTs kind of call home. And when they're home, because they're token contracts, that home has to be somewhere. It has to be some kind of layer one somewhere. Our thesis is that that should be secret. And Secret will connect to every other chain and you will be able to move NFTs between chain and NFTs on Secret will have sort of synthetic mirrors on other chains. But really, Secret is your home because that's where we can protect ownership. That's where we can protect data, metadata, important things when you're a creator, when you're a collector. Um, and because of the interoperability we get through the Cosmos universe and, and IBC and all the other bridges that are being built to Secret and from Secret, we're best positioned to fulfill that position, the positioning I'm talking about, about being this private by default, non-fungible hub, 
And really, you can extend this into thinking that maybe secret network should be that type of hub for any type of asset, non-fungible or otherwise, which is, again, like a, a wonderful reason to launch a DeFi protocol on secret. And it makes so much sense to have something like Shade and all its component dApps live on secret for the same reason. If you believe in a multi-chain future, eventually you need some sort of chain that you trust to secure these assets, unless you need them in use in some sort of other ecosystem. I think we're already seeing this happen on the NFT side. I think that was bound to happen a lot sooner just because for DeFi protocols, so much of adoption has to do with existing liquidity and secret liquidity doesn't look like Ethereum liquidity and doesn't look like Solana liquidity, uh, but it can and will grow, especially with the launch of Shade. NFTs are, are a little bit more of a you know, you don't have to go only where the volume is to launch interesting and valuable cultural assets, especially when what's valuable to you might be the access or the community more so than the value. So Secret's seeing a lot of traction on cheaper or free mint NFTs that give you unique access and utility. I don't think for a while Secret's going to be the chain where you see $100,000 NFT PFPs flying around, but it's possible those days are entirely behind us anyway. Interesting. That's such a fascinating thesis on secret network as really the, the the home for these nfts the layer one where these should live because privacy and the access controls is just such a compelling uh, value add that you can't really get anywhere else so one question i have is to date a lot of like uh the cultural impact of nft is tied to the participants and the wealth of those participants and one thing i've noticed on stash recently is an emphasis on individuals kind of profiles plugging in different you know different social platforms like twitter and discord and kind of the ability to grow a profile so walk me through kind of i wouldn't necessarily call it a pivot but an emphasis away an emphasis on kind of maybe like a social media and, and individual profile as a, as a means of building out cultural clout beyond just um, NFT ownership. I, I guess, I guess does, that, does that make sense? Like, is, is there an angle that Stash and Secret Network are trying to go for tied to, to profiles that are differentiated from, from other platforms? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I think that market, I said this on the space yesterday too, marketplaces are inherently social platforms. Uh, if you think about, Instagram is sort of a marketplace between creators and viewers. Uh, same on YouTube, right? You, we think of these as social media and social platforms, but really what it is, is somebody is consuming media, somebody is creating it. And it's the interactions that create the social aspect. The interaction on Instagram is the like and the comment. The, in, the interaction on YouTube is much the same. The interaction on Pinterest looks a little different. On Snapchat is a little different. It's Most of the Snapchat interactions are one-to-one instead of one-to-many. Interactions on, on Twitter are extremely complex, especially with spaces. So all of these different social platforms have different interactions, but fundamentally it is about connecting individuals, some of whom are creating content and some are who are, are responding. Stash is the same. I mean, Stash launched as a marketplace and all marketplaces are marketplaces, but some grow into more and some are content to be just marketplaces. And I find that they get commoditized. But the ones that are intent to kind of embrace the inherent social properties of the marketplace are, are very well positioned to grow. And Stash is built on secret, which gives it a really interesting foundation for Web3 social that is not shared by really any other social platform, which are all 
generally public by default. When everything is public by default, there's only so many types of interactions that maybe you are comfortable engaging in. So I do envision a future for Stash, especially with the launch of things like profiles. You know, on Facebook, your profile is curated. You get to say what goes on it and what doesn't. Now they, they obfuscate some of that from the user. So maybe they're accidentally sharing more than they thought. That's not good for the user. So instead, taking the private by default angle to profiles. When you collect something, when you claim something, it's private to other users, but that makes the act of revealing it so much more powerful. Something that you choose to share and equip publicly now becomes a more meaningful part of your public identity instead of something that you accidentally disclose to the rest of the user set. And that creates another new type of interaction on Stash as a platform, that of curation. Curation is something that's very popular on platforms like Pinterest or Spotify when you've got playlisters. And I think that all these interactions are very underexplored in Web3 because without privacy, these sorts of disclosures between social actors aren't mediated and therefore they lose meaning. And if your social interactions don't have meaning, you don't really end up doing them. It looks a lot more like Venmo where you pay somebody and everybody else gets to see it and it makes you super uncomfortable and you've got no social benefit from it, but they call it a social property. Maybe it's good for the platform's growth, but it's terrible for the user. So we're focusing a lot at Stash about how can we create wonderful, meaningful social experiences for the user that create value, both emotional, financial, or otherwise. And what happens after that? You know, what happens on platform? What happens for creators? What are the what are the product features that end up in demand by creators, by collectors? And we're just trying to be really responsive to that feedback. And because we build on secret, we're pretty confident that any type of feature social or otherwise that, that people want to see replicated on platform, we're going to be able to add there. And because Secret is connected to the interchain, we're pretty confident that Stash is not going to be siloed and we won't be left behind of any universe where NFTs gain broader adoption. We're always going to plug into everything. And then we're also going to have this solid foundation that I don't think any other marketplace or NFT platform shares. We always talk about bridging web two to web three but in recent history one of the most interesting experiments is with reddit really bridging web three back to web two what are your thoughts on reddit's experiment with with nfts and collectibles and what do you think web three can learn from that experiment great question because I, I am watching it kind of closely i'm not sure how closely stash as a whole is watching it but i, I try to learn from everybody and a lot of what was learned there around Web2 adoption, uh, where we're trying to introduce Web2 participants to Web3 technologies, that's, that's such a wonderful public good that's being accomplished by the Polygon team in conjunction with the Reddit team. And the UI for that was really just flawless. And it is teaching people what I think we want them to learn, that non-fungibles aren't about uh, enforced scarcity and making as much money as possible by hyping up demand in excess of that arbitrary scarcity. It's about ownership. And I think a bunch of people, millions of people all at once just found out what it meant to feel like they actually own something versus the platform controls it. And to have an open world on top of which people can create platforms that leverage their ownership of these Reddit NFTs. And if they want to compare them or speculate on the relative value of the NFT, that's all well and good. But the important thing is there's millions of them and it doesn't create a society in which <laughs> this virtual Reddit society in which 
the value of your NFT is entirely encompassed in the arbitrary traits that are assigned with it, there's a social reputation aspect to them as well. And the value of the NFT could be tied up actually in the reputation of the user that is holding that NFT. And now it becomes sort of a, a universal representation of reputation, not just in Web3, but in Web2. A platform like Stash can easily leverage this because what we could allow somebody to do is with their Reddit NFT, bridge or claim something on secret, claim a Freedom Mint badge, let's say, uh, or something soulbound. And it's uh, every Reddit NFT uh, that gets associated, your, your specific NFT can only ever claim that badge once. And it can only ever go to that account. And one, one, one secret account in theory could have a badge representing ownership of like 20 NFTs. There's all sorts of complexity here as well about like what happens if you sell the NFT on the other network. That's more of a multi-chain question. But the point is just that this is a store of reputation and value that other platforms, regardless of whether they're built on either Polygon or otherwise, other networks can leverage. And now you can be introducing every Reddit NFT holder in the world to a platform like Stash to kind of extend their understanding just by doing a campaign where they can get something for free by virtue of having gotten something for free. Uh, it's, it's really this wonderful, abundant system all the way down if people choose to embrace it as such. And I think it's as close as we've gotten so far as to seeing uh, mainstream adoption the way that we want mainstream adoption to look, just in terms of the emotional experience that people had, the understanding it gave them of, gave them of non-fungibles, and it turned the sentiment about NFTs completely 180 for subreddits, uh, which was really dramatic and wonderful to watch in real time, but also kind of hilarious. So, I mean, fundamentally, Stash Secret Network, it has these beautifully rich attributes that can enhance this NFT experience, whether you're coming from Web 2 or Web 3. What are the, what are the friction points that exist? Why haven't they been solved yet? And where, where do you see... Um, where do you see those friction points? Like how much are they going to get chipped away at in 2023? And what do you think it looks like to chip away at those friction points? You're saying friction points around NFT adoption generally or on secret? On, on secret, secret network in terms of bridging to web two slash enhancing the web three experience. What are those friction points? What does it mean to chip away at them? A lot of it is awareness based. Cause I really do believe um, that what is on stash already by and large is a best in class nft experience like if we compare the experience on secret uh i i think i think that like doing stuff on on stash feels great compared to sometimes doing stuff on like solana marketplaces eth art marketplaces other cosmos marketplaces like there's a lot of super unique features there's a lot of really great stuff it comes down to the ux uh not because we're trying to obfuscate the role of the blockchain in the platform, but just like, can we be that responsive to user demand? And what I understand of how Magic Eden got all of its adoption very quickly in the Solana ecosystem, a little bit was through influencers, but the rest was just, they were constantly present in the Discord, being responsive to user feedback, and they would just ship it. Users would say something 24 to 48 hours later, it was done. So it really comes down to the individual DAP teams in the network being willing to prioritize UX to that extreme. And it also comes down to the layer one architects like at Secret Labs, how capable they are at coordinating with those DAP teams to understand the DAP team needs to make the improvements that are necessary at layer one. It also comes down to the wallets 
how effectively our wallet ecosystem grows, how these native integrations evolve. Uh, we've had a lot of success with Fina on mobile. It was the first mobile wallet to support secret dApps. And I have routinely given flawless uh, demos of claiming secret badges and things like that out in the wild, like on bad mobile data. And people claim it and they see the decryption of the private metadata. They're like, I've never seen that. And it happens in real time. And I have to remind them it's mainnet tech. Um, so we have the opportunity to show a lot of these cool experiences. It, a lot of it is awareness. But beyond the awareness of the solutions that already exist, I mean, it's all well and good to have a cool product. Um, but especially for a social product, you need a compelling social experience. And on a visuals-driven platform like Stash, that means great artists, great creators, compelling content to be able to visit and explore. It also means having compelling communities, people who are actually worth talking to. And it takes a while, you know, to really build those communities. But uh, I think that the green shoots are there. I think we're seeing a lot of great traction. I think we're seeing a lot of positive sentiments. And the way that the NFT ecosystem and the whole crypto ecosystem works is that it's, you know, slowly every single day and then suddenly all at once. And there might come a time in, you know, still this year or next where suddenly that inflection point hits, suddenly we're hot for every creator. Suddenly all our DeFi apps are the best game in town and sentiment can switch just like that. Um, we just have to commit to the thesis. We have to commit to user experience and we have to commit to our community. And if we do that, I think they'll commit to us. Amazing. I'll ask one last final up. It'll it, two questions baked into one. Um, what 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 would you say to those you know collectors and creators within the current market? Like how have you how have you seen them impacted by the market, and what what would you say to them, encourage them about? I guess within the context of what Seeger Network has to offer. And then finally, any of your closing thoughts on where you see Seeker Network headed in in twenty twenty three? Once you've a- answered both those questions, um, we will then transition over to. Sid from Condex. Comdex, really appreciate your time, Tor, by the way. Can you do me a huge favor and restate both those questions? It is just a little choppy for me, and I assume it's on my end. Yeah, so uh, the first question is, uh, obviously, the market impacts creators and collectors, you know, all over the world of Web3. What, what's kind of your messaging for them amidst this, this bear market, and what would you say to them and, like, why they should come to, to, to Seeker Network despite you know, the where volume stands today, where traffic stands today, what, what would you, you know, speak to that specific audience? And then finally, as mm-hmm. a closing question, where do you see Seeker Network headed in uh, 2023? And just kind of giving you the chance to have the floor to close things out, and then we'll transition over to Sid from Comdex. Cool. Okay, so why be engaged during a bear market? I mean, the answer to that is pretty obvious. If you only get engaged during the bull market, by the time you know what the hell's going on, by the time everything gets adoption, it's it, it, you know your own understanding, your own positioning within those ecosystems. You know it's too late. Everybody else who committed during the bear market, who really applied themselves when there was less noise and more signal, all those people always end up ahead. You know that's that's just the fundamental reality. And if you are only willing to put bets on things after everybody else agrees with you. You don't really end up building or doing anything interesting. That's that, that's sort of like a economic truth of the world and, and an evolutionary truth of the world. There's there's not really a lot of way to fake that kind of compounding value. You have to show up when it's hard. 
But I mean, the other reason is just, look, you have to have a thesis. A lot of blockchains, there's not a real thesis. They'll, they'll, their entire thesis is that you should look at our current adoption and project future adoption. But crypto is so open. It's so hard to build wall gardens that you need a thesis and an ethos that just goes beyond present day adoption. In Web 2, you could assume, okay, Facebook got their first million users. Now there's a lock-in effect. And the next billion users will all go to Facebook. And Facebook will engage in practices like regulatory capture and we'll all be on Facebook. And you could have said the same thing about MySpace. You know? So even, even those companies, eventually, you know, they rise and they fall. And you have to be able to see the new trends, even as the old trends are ending. For Secret, we've had one very consistent thesis, one very consistent ethos since inception. And the rest of the world is catching up with that ethos, which is privacy by default, not just because it's better for users, not just because it's more secure and more sustainable, but just because fundamentally it is a human right that's not really protected elsewhere in the industry. And it makes it lets you build things that aren't possible anywhere else. That's our thesis. If you believe in that thesis, you don't need to see the success today. You just need to be a part of it. And there's always something on secret to build. So where we're going, to tie it into the second question, where we're going rest of this year in 2023, some of it is technical, but a lot of it is community-based. The technical side is if people haven't been reading up on secret 2.0, there's a huge evolution underway towards the future of how the chain is going to be architected, what the what the different uh, companion chains to secret might look like that are more focused on pure cryptography to complement our current hardware-driven solutions, uh, or, or what it could mean to have a different tokenomic structure that's more sustainable, similar to the discussion that's going on in Atom 2.0. Everyone should be paying attention to that. That will be the dominant story for the next year, absolutely. But also, the DAP layer will be the dominant story. So many things that haven't been live are going live. On the DeFi side, on the NFT side, there's so much in the pipeline that has been building during the bear because that's when you build and we expect it to launch as we're coming out of sort of the depths of this, maybe as global macro environment stabilizes a bit. We have a ton of apps, including Shade, that seem to be launching at just the right time. So people should understand there's opportunities there on the technical side and on the DAP layer to contribute. But on the community side, if anybody just is interested in privacy as an ethos and as a thesis, and they don't know where to get their feet wet in the secret ecosystem. They're on the outside looking in, or they've just heard about it, either positive or negative, and they just don't know where to apply themselves. We've built a program so that you can get involved, even not knowing where you're trying to involve yourself. And that's the secret agents and the secret agency. So you should join the secret discord, chat.scrt.network. You should introduce yourself, look around. The agents are there. This is a global community program. And at its core, it's a DAO involving thousands of people globally trying to drive change for privacy in Web3. And it's not something we've made up. It's, a, it's the result of many, many iterations, as Carter knows, since year 2017, where we've been trying to get these very effective community-led structures going on behalf of not just our ecosystem, but just privacy in Web3. Finally, I feel confident we have that at a strong foundation. Finally, I feel very confident that anybody, anybody, anywhere with any skill set can make a contribution. So check out that program, become a part of Secrets community, because you might be writing the story of the future of the chain. And if we do what we believe we can do, then you'll have been a major part of not just the story, but the success. And there you have it, folks. 
That is what conviction sounds like. That is what passion sounds like. Torbear of the Secret Foundation, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you for having me, guys. I'll cede the floor over to Comdex. But yeah, please, please follow our, along with our ecosystem. And as soon as the blockchain's back online, come check out Stash. Woo. All right. With that being said, Sid from Comdex, one of the most fascinating Cosmos projects, I would say. I've always defined Comdex somewhat as a sleeper project. I think they've been building at De- building out DeFi in the background at a pace that's breathtaking and doesn't get enough uh, praise and, and attention. So, Sid, open the floor to you. Who are you? What are you about? And what is Comdex trying to solve? Thanks, Carter. Thanks. Uh, pleasure to be here. So yeah, I'm I'm Sid, one of the co-founders of Comdex. You know, for those who don't know, we're building uh, basically a suite of DeFi solutions for the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, we started our journey, you know, building in 2018 when we were building out a solution for uh, like institutional commodities traders on the blockchain. Uh, but since then, you know, we've kind of realized that the, the vision is broader than just solving, you know, one one aspect of it, which is tokenizing these real world assets. But ultimately, it's to um, to kind of create complementary solutions like payments and financing, uh, which ultimately needs a chain that can facilitate that, which is where we got into building the Comdex chain, which is sort of like a DeFi infrastructure layer. And then all, what we have on top of the chain now is uh, three applications that we're pl- uh, planning to launch pretty soon. Um, the stablecoin protocol called Harbor, um, lending borrowing protocol called Komodo, and a DEX called CSwap. Amazing. Maybe you want to walk, walk us through each one of those kind of product categories, what makes them unique and what, how they kind of fit into the DeFi suite and why they're so important. Oh, for sure. I think I got like uh, interrupted for a bit, but I think I caught most of your questions. So, um, yeah. So, you know, since we've been kind of observing the landscape in, um, in DeFi and Cosmos for a bit, we've kind of realized that, you know, Cosmos itself has grown tremendously. But uh, when you look at DeFi as Sorry, I, I keep getting a call on the phone I'm chatting from, so I'm, it just keeps getting interrupted. Uh, but yeah, so we identified, you know, DeFi as a space that we wanted to kind of uh, fill the gap for. And we realized that, you know, one of the key pieces that, that's, needs, that's needed for any DeFi ecosystem to kind of flourish and function is, is a stablecoin. So that's how we got around to kind of thinking about launching a stablecoin, which will ultimately power, you know, most of the other solutions that we're building as well. Within that, we identified that the model that MakerDAO has adopted, which is kind of the over-collateralized model, is is the most robust uh, you know approach towards doing that right now. So that's what Harbor Protocol is. It's uh, the protocol for issuing or minting the composite stablecoin CMST. Um, essentially, users will be able to mint it with creating over-collateralized positions of you know uh, IBC assets and ultimately bridged assets as well. Um, Komodo and, and CSwap are, are the DEX and the lending borrowing essentially work in tandem with Harbor to kind of form a decentralized money market together. So the idea is, again, you know, you, once you have your stablecoin, you can try and you know, deploy liquidity in a DEX. You can try and lend it out in a lending borrowing market. And all of those being kind of composable with, an, with one another, being on the same chain, you know, taps into kind of uh, atomicity that, that users currently lack inside of Cosmos. So uh, you know, at a high level, that's what we're chasing and going after. Amazing. So one thing that's been interesting is, you know, post Terra collapse, a lot of the liquidity in the cosmos kind of got destroyed overnight. A lot of the trust behind stablecoin projects, specifically decentralized stablecoins, uh, bottomed out. So how is Comdex impacted by the collapse of UST? 
And have you seen Luna, Terra Luna community members be drawn towards Comdex and its vision for decentralized money with Harbor as well as its decentralized DeFi suite? For sure. I think, um, you know, the collapse of USD definitely had a big impact for uh, the, the whole ecosystem. You know, a lot of uh, liquidity. We, we've seen a lot of liquidity get drained out of Cosmos DeFi. For us, you know, even before I think the collapse of USD, we always knew that stablecoin would be a central piece of a lot of the solutions we had planned to be built out on a, on the chain. So, you know, we, we announced that we'd be building a stablecoin, I think, in, in June or July of 2021. Back then, we, we thought about calling it US, USCX, which we later rebranded it to Composite. Uh, but the idea was always to have it over collateralized because, you know, from the start, when we kind of got into the depths of studying the USD model, and especially the algorithmic seniorage based model, we, we saw that there were certain vulnerabilities in that model, which could be exploited. And it, it pretty much played out the way we, we you know, expected it to. So the USD collapse, what it did for us is essentially accelerate our kind of uh, work towards getting the stablecoin out because it became kind of like the burning need of the hour for the entire ecosystem. And then, you know, we didn't want to waste any time and, and try to get that out as, as soon as possible. Um, what's been interesting, though, I feel is, you know, post the collapse of uh, the, the, the Terra ecosystem, as we know it, we've seen a lot of the Terra projects migrate over to Cosmos. You know, a bunch of them have moved over to Osmosis. A lot of them have moved to Juno. And, and I think that's a very positive sign for Cosmos as a whole, because, um, you know, whether or not people want to want to kind of think about it, it to some extent, ever since Terra became IBC enabled, it kind of did become part of Cosmos in some ways. And uh, in many ways, these projects are now kind of having a new home to, to continue building. And then a lot of the solutions that they're building, you know, kind of work very harmoniously within uh, the DeFi ecosystem that Terra had built out. Now that they've moved over to Cosmos and Cosmos DeFi is still pretty much in its you know, nascent early stages, uh, they'll, they'll find that there's a lot more kind of harmony they can explore once this you know, infrastructure or the core kind of base layer of DeFi gets established in Cosmos. So our focus is to kind of build that out as quickly as possible, get it ready and, and uh, then integrate and you know, open, kind of uh, welcome these uh, projects with open arms to kind of uh, you know, integrate across our products and, and uh, kind of build out the broader DeFi landscape. One thing you spoke about was that CMST has taken the kind of inspiration from, from MakerDAO as what is considered the blue, trip, blue chip industry standard for stability and security. Um, however, with over collateralized stable coins, there's still there's still risks. So I'd love to hear, in your opinion, what are the risks that CMST faces with its, with its model and what are the mitigations for those risks? Yep. I mean, I think the biggest risk is, is volatility in markets. Um, when you have you know, any kind of asset being over collateralized and stablecoin issued against it, the, the volatility of that asset kind of becomes a key parameter that you need to keep an eye on to ensure that your, your debt remains solvent. Uh, to that regard, you know, a couple of measures we've taken is uh, obviously the, the factor of over collateralization becomes the first fact was first thing that we look at. Um, let's say you take an atom, an asset like Atom, which is currently highly liquid in the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, you know, you would collateralize Atom by a certain degree. But if you were take, if you were to take a less liquid asset, let's say CMDX, for example, you would probably want to collateralize the CMDX by a higher factor of over collateralization just so that we ensure uh, you know, the volatilities are, are kind of um, taken care of. What I mean by that is um, volatility is ultimately a function of liquidity. Um, highly liquid assets tend to have lower volatility. And when the asset is less volatile, we're, we're uh, you know, in a better position to accept that asset as collateral. 
So that's the reason something like Atom would be collateralized at, you know, let's say 180% or 200%, whereas something like CMDX would be collateralized at 300% or more. So that's one aspect of how kind of, um, you know, the, the, the protocol remains uh, safe. Uh, obviously, this is enforced with liquidations. So for each kind of collateral position, there is a defined minimum collateralization that needs to be maintained. And then, you know, if in the events of volatility, the collateral loses value below its minimum defined kind of collateral ratio, then the protocol would liquidate um, to the, the collateral to ensure that the debt remains solvent. In addition to that, uh, another kind of safety measure that's built in is a debt ceiling, which is essentially a limit on the maximum amount of CMST that can be minted against a single collateral type. Again, the idea here is to take into account the liquidity of the collateral assets in external markets. And the, 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 the aim is to ensure that if there is ever so much volatility that a single collateral uh, gets entirely liquidated, the, the entire liquidation from the protocol should be something that the market of that asset should be able to handle. So by limiting the amount of CMST that can be minted against Atom, uh, if at any point Atom market faces, you know, huge volatility where a large sum of Atom gets liquidated from Harbor Protocol, uh, because of the debt ceiling that's in place, the, the total amount of or the maximum amount of Atom that can be liquidated is also capped. And that cap is uh, built keeping in mind what the liquidity for Atom would look like in the market. So these kind of, you know, the liquidations, the over collateralization and the debt ceiling form kind of like the first layer of security, you would say, towards the, the maintaining the kind of overall stability of the system. But then to additionally kind of, uh, you know, make that stronger, there's, uh, there's the recapitalizing mechanism as well, where um, once liquidations are complete, if there is a portion of the debt that still remains insolvent, uh, the harbor token is, is what's used to recapitalize that portion of the debt, similar to how MKR does that for DAI. Uh, where MKR tokens are minted and auctioned out for to to recover dye, which is then burnt to ensure that all remaining dye is solvent. Um, so yeah, I think broadly together these these kind of mechanisms you know are are, the, are built to ensure that the protocol remains safe throughout various market conditions. That's an excellent and thorough answer. How does how are liquidations handled in terms of like auction method? A lot of different protocols kind of leave it up to open market bots. Some of them have stability pools where users deposit collateral. How does Comdex handle liquidations and what was the philosophy and theory behind said chosen method? Yep. So for, for liquidations on Harbor and, and Komodo as well, we've gone for the auctions approach where, you know, there's a reverse Dutch auction that happens for the collateral asset. Um, there's a kind of linear decline of price and users can place their bids at whatever prices they feel are, are appropriate. Um, obviously, this opens a door for arbitrage where, you know, users can kind of obtain the liquidated asset at a discount from the liquidation auctions and then immediately go and arbitrage that on a DEX by, by you know, selling it at the market rate on the DEX. The beauty is that since the liquidation on Harbor or liquidation on Komodo, as well as the liquidity on CSwap, all are on the Comdex chain, uh, users will actually be able to achieve this liquidation uh, auction and arbitrage kind of in a single transaction through kind of like an atomic transaction structure. So that will uh, also ensure that, you know, if, if there are liquidation bots at play, they would be able to, uh, you know, help ensure that liquidations happen smoothly. Uh, so that's kind of the approach we've gone for. It's, it's the auctions approach. So Cosmos chains, one of the interesting side effects of the model is, you know, people say, like, oh, like, look at this Cosmos chain. The transactions are super cheap and that's super cool. But when you when you dig into it, a lot of times, 
cheaper transactions mean people can fill up blocks essentially like ddos a chain what is are you are is there any sort of concerns about um attacks on the l1 in conjunction to going after like profitability in terms of these types of liquidations any sort of like mev-esque attack vectors just just curious if if there's any sort of drill down that deep that has has been thought about it. It's something I'm always thinking about with Cosmos change because transactions are actually pretty cheap typically. No, I think that's a very good point. Uh, unfortunately, this this kind of falls outside of my domain of knowledge. Uh, you know, not being an engineer, I haven't had the time to kind of fully dig into this. But there are folks on the team on the engineering side who are kind of actively looking at these scenarios and then working it out, especially with uh, you know MEV-based scenarios. So um, I, I currently don't have the answer for this on the call right now, but um, I, I know there'd be folks who who could uh, answer this from the team. Gotcha. Yeah, that's just just an interesting interesting question. Um, I guess my, my next question is tied to governance. So one of the really interesting things about MakerDAO or really like any of these really big blue chip protocols is how governance evolves side by side by side with them. The management of all the different vaults, the different debt parameters, um, there's, there's risk to it. Um, but also like your community and Decentralization is also the very strength of a protocol. So what is Comdex's long-term vision for for governance is, is the question. I'm glad you bring this up. I think, um, you know, one of the beauties of building in the Web3 ecosystem as a whole is that everything is kind of open. Everything is open source for the most part. And, you know, you get the past experience of other projects to build on top of. So anyone who's spent time, you know, going through maker documentation and, you know, listening to some of the maker calls, which are uh, team calls that they make public, you you kind of see a repeating theme, which is the emphasis on good governance, where the system is designed to ensure uh, that governors who participate in the system are involved in good governance and rewarded for it and uh, also punished for it if it if it's not well governed so we kind of realized you know again for the the structure that we have for harbor protocol good governance would form a key part of how the protocol manages itself in the long run and around that you know w- what we've designed in the tokenomics is is uh, a ve harbor a ve model which is uh, you know voting escrow model where uh, holders of the harbor token would be able to lock in their harbor um, into the protocol for to earn voting rights and of course your duration of lockup is kind of directly proportional to how much vote and how much of the protocol revenue you earn so again the idea here is that you know if you manage the protocol well then there are fewer situations where uh, you know there is liquidation or recapitalization needed and good amount of uh, protocol revenue that accrues to you uh, but at the same time, if the protocol is not well managed and there are liquidations happening, which cause, you know, under collateralization, which ultimately needs to be recapitalized, that recapitalization comes um, through kind of diluting the value of the the, the Harbor token, which is in, in essence kind of, you can say, equity in the network. So th- that, again, circles back to, uh, you know, the importance of governance where. Um, governance is required on an ongoing basis and it requires kind of, uh, you know, commitment as well from the folks involved in it. So in, in, in our approach for Harbor, we've, uh, you know, given quite a heavy emphasis to involvement in governance. Um, you know, the airdrop as well, we've announced the airdrop for so many communities and for the large part, the airdrop's focus has been to focus uh, on, on stakers who also participate in governance so that 
um, it's it's a reward for ultimately folks who get involved in protocol governance as well. And, and it's going to play an important part, not just for Comdex or any of Comdex projects, but I think anyone who's followed Cosmos for the past few months knows that this is, uh, you know, one of the kind of more informed community of ecosystems out there. Uh, I think the quality of discourse that happens in the community among community members is, is probably the highest I've seen, um, you know, apart from probably core Ethereum days. So it is a community of folks who who do like to get involved in in governance who do know what they're talking about when they do talk about governance and who share who hold strong opinions and and try to voice them and i think um uh kind of encouraging that through through the model we've gone for uh would be beneficial to harbor as well i'll zoom out here for a second because i think that's uh, really interesting whenever i hear like a community is super informed that's always like that gets me so excited. But to zoom out for a second, if you had to describe kind of the ethos of the Comdex community, you know, and, you know, let's say two or three work keywords, what, what do you think the, those would be? Because I know personally for, for the shade protocols of the world, it's like it's 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 privacy, it's sustainability, it's collaboration. Kind of the first three that come to come to my mind. I'm, I'm really curious because it sounds like Comdex has a phenomenal community. What type of keywords you see embedded into your community? Um, you know, I think it's, it's for me or like, I'd, I'd probably answer this at a personal level, the way I see it, you know, we started our journey with a kind of, uh, vision to democratize finance. And what that truly means is, you know, uh, open the access of, uh, finance to, to every individual involved, uh, currently the way traditional finance is structured, there are products out there, but for you to access those products requires conditions, you know, uh, sometimes jurisdictional uh, re- jurisdiction is the reason why you can't access certain projects or products, or sometimes the reason you can't access them is because you're not, you know, accredited as an investor. Uh, what we believe is that if you are someone who knows about the product you want to interact with and and want to interact with it, you should have the capability to do so. And I think DeFi is 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 kind of great in that way because DeFi does kind of live up to that ethos of just allowing anyone who understands what they're dealing with to deal with it directly. So for us, that kind of uh, is the core, I would say, ethos of what we're building with. It's ultimately to democratize finance, uh, obviously building it up one block at a time, starting with stablecoin, then, you know, DEX, lending borrowing, ultimately synthetics and, and other such products, which will uh, open the doors for access for, um, I like to say this in quote unquote, mom and pop investors into assets that they previously never had access to. I, I love that you said build it up block by block because in this in this industry that's it's a pun but it's exactly what it is. <laughs> um, I'm I'm super curious what where what what does adoption look like for CMST? Obviously for for stable coins, part of the vision of any stable is to get it beyond just you know the initial its its inception point. So what what does it look like for CMSTs to expand beyond Comdex? What is the role of IBC? Where do you see CMST in relation to other layer ones outside of the Cosmos ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as as Cosmos grows, as IBC grows, uh, the the goal for CMST is to touch have touch points at as many places that IBC is able to touch today. Uh, but beyond IBC as well, you know, uh, talking about kind of uh, just circling back to why we even built the stablecoin in the first place. Uh, our initial motivation to do that was to ultimately power the enterprise, uh, you know, Comdex solution that we built out uh, back in 2019. 
currently, that product all it does is allows you know enterprises in the in the commodity space to tokenize their assets and kind of maintain an on-chain MIS of their trading activities. But for us to truly add value into that supply chain, we'll have to you know solve for them bigger problems, and and those bigger problems are payments and financing. Uh, to do to do that with existing fiat rails, uh, although it's possible, it it just doesn't feel futuristic enough to build something on a blockchain and then still tie it back to, uh, you know, older kind of infrastructure that's that's in place, which already you know has certain inefficiencies that we all know about. So that that was our kind of first motivation towards um, seeing why a stablecoin was necessary in in everything that we are doing. So in terms of CMST's broader future, of course, Cosmos is you know home. It's it's got to be where we first build up our presence and build up uh, utility but once we we you know reach certain milestones the goal is to tie back cmst into the the commodity supply chain because honestly if you ask if you zoom out a bit and ask me about where you know what web3 is about and what blockchain is about and what we're really trying to do it's it's ultimately to kind of um, solve the 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 inefficiencies in in all the transactions that exist in the world and transactions don't necessarily mean monetary transaction it means exchange of any kind so when I talk about you know the supply chain, it's 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 the biggest uh, kind of industry in the world. Everything around us that we touch has some element of supplies, supply chain, and some element of commodities related to it. And and it's kind of like a grassroots approach where you start bottom up. You you start by fixing the issues uh, across the supply chain, and and the trickle down or the, or the trickle up rather from from that is is kind of felt by every consumer at the at, at the end. Of course, this is a very long-term vision, and and you know it's not going to happen in in one year or even maybe two years. It might take five or ten, but um, it's as I said, it's going to be it's going to have to be a block at a time. So, Sid, I know I know you're on the road quite a bit. I think you're one of the few founders I've met that that lives out of a a, a suitcase quite literally. And so, before I ask my final question, the question I have for you is, what keeps you up at night? Um, as as a leader, as a builder, um, what what are the things that are you know populating your your mind right now with respect to Comdex and and what's on the horizon? Oh, uh, this is a very interesting question. There's so many things that keep me up at night, but I think the most uh, common one, right, or, or the most uh, recent one, is definitely uh, just launching the products and. and not just specific to the products itself, but I think you know I think this is something you might relate to as well because um, as DeFi builders, we're we're all building protocols that you know are, are financial instruments that that people will be dealing with, and ultimately it's going to be people's own capital that they deploy into these things. Uh, a lot of times, you know, people save up money and, and put their savings into these products, and and the last thing you want is for any of these products to to fail or to have any kind of vulnerability or you know anything that that ultimately hurts these users. Uh, for us, we know we do everything in our power. We have audits. We we do regular code review ourselves. We we spend a lot of time and a lot of hours as a team to ensure that the entire system is kind of you know uh, foolproof and has has no holes in it. Uh, but you know, crypto is an interesting space. Uh, anyone who's kept their eye on the space for the past six or six or more months has seen you know a range of uh, exploits happen across DeFi across the board. And um, th- that's, I think, something that to be kept in mind. I mean, if you look at, you know, even the, the the way things unfolded after USD collapsed, there was all sorts of news of people who, you know, life savings into Anchor and and things like that, and then uh, weren't weren't available, weren't kind of ready to, or weren't able to take their capital out of it when needed, and they they suffered the most. So, if you ask me at a personal level, as a as a builder in DeFi, this is something always at the top of my mind, and it's it's. Um, 
quite frankly it's the the terror of building defi is is exactly this it's to is to realize that ultimately it's going to be people's capital that gets deployed into what you build and uh, you got to make sure that it works uh, the way it's designed to so Sid, you walk into a coffee shop you sit down and sitting across from you is Sid from 2 years ago what what would you what would you say to him and what do you think you'd be most surprised by <laughs> I'd probably say you ain't seen shit. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think um, Sid, Sid from two years ago, I'd just, I'd just tell him, uh, you know, n- nothing is predictable and uh, everything can be shocking. Like if, even if I met Sid from a year ago and I told him that, you know, DeFi is going to look very different from what it looks like right now, I'd probably just laugh, my, laugh at it myself. But here we are, you know, three-digit APYs don't exist anymore. Four-digit APYs definitely don't exist anymore. Uh, you know, the situations change. So the, I think the message is uh, be agile, be ready for uh, any kind of change and don't discount any possibility. Everything is possible. We've talked about what keeps you up at night right now. We've talked about what you would say to your past self. And so we'll close with the future. Where do you see Comdex in 2023, 2024? Sky's the limit. The, the stars align. Where do you think things will be? And then finally, if you just want to close with, you know, looking into the camera, and talking to the Comdex community, Shade community, anyone on this Twitter space who, who's listened in? Um, yeah, I think I'm very optimistic for 2023, 2024. Uh, personally, I think you know bear markets are the best time to build because it, it cancels out the noise. You get to focus on what you're doing, and, and that's that's the key. Um, for for all the work that's been put in behind the scenes at Comdex, you know, I, I'm very optimistic for what's to come. Uh, obviously, product launches are, are on the immediate timeline and the immediate horizon. So all the three products should be live, you know, in a matter of days. Um, post that, the the focus is to to expand horizontally. In that sense, in what I mean by that is, you know, touch as many parts of IBC as possible with CMST and and the other products that we're building. Um, see DeFi evolve in Cosmos is something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, you know, something I've spoken about in the past is is uh, liquid staking itself, where you know now that the liquid staking game in Cosmos is heating up, I'm super excited to explore how you know Cosmo- Comdex is going to integrate with all the liquid staking protocols that exist out there. Um, beyond that, into 2024, you know, uh, tying it back into the real-world applications is something that that kind of uh, drives me, and that's something that I, I always look forward to doing. So I, I'm optimistic that by 2024, we'll start seeing CMST being used in, you know, real-world applications as well, uh, especially enterprise-focused applications like the commodities app that we've built out and, and other such applications. And then, um, sorry, what was the, the second part of the question? Just a chance for you to look into the camera and, oh, yeah. and talk to your community or any, anyone listening. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, for, for all the ones, uh, all the people listening right now, you know, um, definitely encourage you guys to to try out all the products that we're building and then also try out, uh, you know, other products in, in the ecosystem as a whole. You know, I'm super excited for Shade, uh, super excited for Silk, uh, super excited for the swap that's coming out as well. I, I know I haven't gotten around to reading the new white paper, but it's it's on my reading list for this week. So I'm excited for that. And, you know, just in light of everything that's going on in Cosmos right now, I mean, you know, as I said earlier, it's a passionate community, very knowledgeable and informed community. But maybe a message just, again, it's a broad message, but I think a message is uh, be kind. I mean, there's a lot of uh, passionate people out there who are are voicing their opinions, but I just I just say, you know, be kind and and do it respectfully and uh, have have safe space for uh, conversations and disagreements. I think that's something that we all need to kind of take away uh, from what's been going on more recently. One of the most grounded and determined builders I've ever met. 
Sid from Comdex, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Dalton Fisco, any final words before we close out here? I've got nothing. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We appreciate you all jumping on here and listening, listening to the last-minute um, kind of re- redirection on this Twitter space, but it turned out super well. Thanks for Tor and Sid for jumping on as well. Appreciate you guys all. This was Into the Interchain, and remember, folks, there's always plenty of room in the shade. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Uh, and if you want to continue this conversation, we actually host a community chat in our Discord uh, with Melch18. He'll be leading that conversation. So you can jump into the Shade Protocol Discord, continue to have this conversation uh, with Melch and other community members. But again, always, always thankful for everyone to join. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Shade underscore Protocol. Make sure to go follow Sid and Tor, uh, follow Secret Network, and follow Comdex as well as CMST. They have their respective Twitter profiles as well. But uh, yeah, like Carter said, we will we will see you guys the next uh, Twitter space. It's always on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. CST, and there is plenty of room in the shade. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether that was Into the Interchain, hosted by Shade Protocol with friends, recorded on Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support there. Waking up like a basement dweller Stepped out the door and heard racist yelling 2020, what an ugly shit show Staring at the fucking Rick Roll from the get-go Looking outside, the whole state's on fire The fuck do you expect when you embrace the liars And replace the writers with AI just like us Emaciated models killing bright birds First in, last out, picture me rolling The worst time to cash out, so what you holding? The Burks gonna cash cow, country stolen Drooling over chicken like the goose is golden Trying to be so full Spitting that molten Lava from the bottom of the caldera I'm hot and gonna put it in a bottle And offer it to the god who hit the gas full throttle Blasting off in a rocket The many people who will, will see things happen to them That are in their favor So someone's looking over me That's a, that's a fascinating phenomenon When that happens And when you analyze those situations, what you find is, is that we as humans simply have a profound inability to understand statistics and probability. Stitching these writings, living that life like, who would have guessed you turn out this nice, right? Avoiding stress, that's the motherfucking secret. Print that shit on a motherfucking leaflet. I'm just an asshole hooked on the bricks. Looking at the rectangles, damn, they kinda thick. We've gone through a whole lot of kings here. Cutting off heads just to bring cheer Getting all fired up, Tiger King, line them up When you give an arm and a leg just to try the junk On some first time buyer's luck Alexa, set a reminder and remind me to buy a bunch And put your hands up if you fuck this year And keep them in the air if you're picking up the spare And put your mask on just to go outside Looking at the planet about to downsize So climate change will not make Earth
basically every other coastal city that we've spent thousands of years building uh, in the, since the dawn of civilization. Channel Spaces.